yo, yo, yo! Welcome to another episode, I've lost count, of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm super excited for today. Um, this is our second ep- episode where we will have a guest. We had one last week, or last, what's it been now, three weeks ago, with my old boss and very good friend, Jeff previous owner of House of Cards when it was a hobby. If you haven't listened to that, I'd recommend you go back and listen to it. He and I are going to do more stuff. He's just, he and I have a million stories and he's a super interesting guy. Um, But today I have the one and only, the father of one of the very best podcasts in all of of cards uh, and certainly in basketball cards, Kyle, aka Deadshot, aka the Wax Museum guy, aka just a really good um, hobby resource and somebody who I think has made our our uh, our marketplace and our hobby and our community a far better place. He's going to think I'm sucking up to him, but um, he's a great guy and he's, he's joined me today. Um, before we get into that, though, I want to just tell you guys, we are almost done with the 27 guy top 100. I think most of you are probably tired of it. I know I am. It's, it takes a lot of time and I'm glad that it's almost done. But it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's going to be fun to count down the last three, which will start tomorrow, and number th- and this podcast will probably launch right around that same time. So check it out, vote on the polls, do that sort of thing. Give me a follow uh, on this uh, for this podcast, and uh, give me a rating if you can do that. But um, but yeah, go go check out the the countdown at uh, at uh, my Instagram, which is at the real twenty seven guy. Um, but like I said today, um, I, uh, I'm grateful to have Kyle on and grateful that he would be willing to give, give me some time. I've known Kyle now for, oh my goodness, I think, I think six or seven years actually. Um, not as well as the last few for all of that for sure, but we met each other, I think on the blowout forums going back that long ago. Um, he's a highly passionate, um, obsessive, uh, collector, uh, doesn't just do basketball cards, but is mostly a basketball card guy. I think I'll let him tell a little bit more about himself in a second. Um, he's a teacher and, um, a husband and, uh, like I said, a good member of the forums and a good member of the community. And I wanted to have him here today so that I can grill him on who he is. <laughs> Grill's the wrong word. I just I think that he is a compelling guy that he has um, interesting stories and um, I want to get to know him better so I thought it might be interesting for everybody else too so with that uh, Kyle welcome to the show thanks Adam it's good to be here Um, I'm used to being on the other side of this so it's kind of refreshing and also it kind of keeps me on my toes so I'm excited for this and uh I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Well, I I am grateful that you would that you would uh, give me give me a few minutes of your time. I'll try not to keep you too long, but um, you know I think a lot of times in these these types of settings, people do the obligatory like tell me about yourself. I think people know you for the most part. So I'm going to jump into some maybe some some more direct questions, and I just want to give you all the freedom to talk for as long or as short about anything that you want that, that you want. But like I said, I, the purpose of this this podcast is to actually get to know Kyle. So um, let me ask you this this uh, this question first. Um, I, we we know you're we know you're a teacher. What what do you teach? So I teach language arts, which um, is more or less just a fancy word for English, 
now, um, but I, I teach it for, I teach middle school. So um, they've kind of split reading and writing, and I would say that I focus more on the writing. Uh, doesn't mean that I'm a, a perfect writer myself, but um, yeah, that's what I focus on. Um, trying to get these kids to where they can communicate and write essays and take information that they've read and think critically about it and react to it. How does your basketball card hobby influence your job, if at all? Um, I mean, I would say um, a lot of my basketball card hobby since around 2003 has been centered on message boards. And I know a lot of people feel like message boards are kind of archaic now. Uh, you know, I'll probably always use them because it's nostalgic for me for one thing. But um, just to be able to communicate to someone um, efficiently and accurately what you're trying to say and, and what needs to be said, which sometimes could be a, you know, a short message, sometimes could be a long message. Um, you know, I take some of those same principles and apply that to what I do at work, whether students are having to summarize something or they're having to present something in five paragraph form or whatever that may be. Just kind of knowing that there's the different formats for communication. I, I guess that would be some of the carryover. That's such a cool answer. I, um, as I, as I hear you listen to that, I probably need to take one of your language arts classes because I'm kind of known for being the guy who's long winded. Um, I think especially in the form, in the forum format, I just get going sometimes and I look at something and I'm like, man, I just did like six paragraphs. I'm not even sure what I said. Um, but well, I think that's see, at this age though, the, the kids that I'm working with, it's like, no, I need more. You know, whereas a lot of us were, were, you know, acclimated to this and we want to cut things down. I'm just, it's like pulling something out of them, um, which isn't always easy. So let me ask you this, uh, no judgment either way. Do your, do your coworkers or any of your coworkers know about your basketball card hobby? Uh, there's a few of them that do and, you know, I, I, I try and present it in a way where, you know, I, I don't, I'm not shameful about it. Right. Because a lot of people think that I would be shameful about it. No, I have a, I'm 75 weeks deep into a podcast about it. So I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty excited about this and pretty open about it. But I also, um, anytime I present it to somebody, I do try and humanize it a little bit more because, at the core of things, if it's just, hey, you, you know, you're doing a child's hobby, well, you know, and you might put together puzzles and you might, you know, do some other things that children would do as well. Um, but there are very human elements to this and, and there are reasons why this appeals to me. So, or, you know, I have coworkers that love going to Disney and I don't judge them for that, right? Whereas in my <laughs> mind, it's, I have no, I don't have kids, so I don't have any interest in going to Disney. And they're taking pictures with um, grown adults in costumes. <laughs> so we're all on an equal playing field here, right? So the whole pictures of men on cardboard thing doesn't apply anymore. I try and humanize it for everyone, or at least, <laughs> at least bring them to my level, I guess. So, okay, so I... I can relate to that. My issue is that when push comes to shove and I'm in that moment where I'm like, 
describing to somebody who's a coworker, and I feel like they're somebody who's important. I always talk about the financial side of it and, and what, what is, what is stood to be made or lost. Is there a way to humanize it as you, as you describe it, that isn't just about the money? Is there anything that you can say that makes it sound, um, that makes it sound real, authentic, interest and interesting that's not related to money? Yes, 100%. And I typically don't ever go to the money side of it anyway. Um, sports is a social conduit. Um, so everywhere, I, you know, I was an introvert growing up. Every, you know, we moved several times and it didn't get any better for me with each time. So um, sports was always my gateway to meeting people or talking to people um, because, you know, I might not know a certain state very well, but I can tell you the NBA team that plays there. And chances are, if that person doesn't follow that team, well, maybe their you know mother or sister or uncle or grandpa or somebody has some connection to that team, and I have now gotten in with them, um, and I've given myself, all right, this is something I'm comfortable talking about already. So sports has always been that for me, and really cards is are cards are kind of the way that I can um, keep that knowledge you know, fresh or like, you know, if I see old cards, it kind of reminds me of some things that happened in the past that maybe I wasn't alive for. So I've got, you know, 70 or 80 years worth of basketball history that I can draw from if I need to. You know, you mentioned the old cards and it's interesting that you do that because that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up. I get people all the time who, who, who look at me, they know I'm in my mid thirties and, and they'll ask me and, and I'll talk about things from the seventies or from the sixties or from the fifties, kind of like I was there and they do the math real quick and they know that I'm talking about something that I wasn't there for. And I kind of get the sense that you're that same sort of way. Right. Um, where, so, and I know you collect, you know, you and I did an episode on the 68 tops test set. Um, where, why do you have this love for vintage basketball? Where does, where does that come from? So um, I love the Indiana Pacers. Anyone that listens to my show, they know that. Um, my wife knows that our week is scheduled around that. Um, so, you know, what nights are their Pacers games? Okay, so then we're going to do such and such on such and such night. Uh, and she's fine with that, by the way. I don't want to make it sound like that controls everything. <laughs> um, but she knows that's really important to me, and that's, you know, something my dad and I connect about. So, you know, Pacers games have always been really important to me. Um, so when I was around high school aged, I wanted to learn more about Pacers history because I started watching around, um, I, you know, consistently probably around 1995. Um, so I wanted to know more about them. And that was after I moved away from Indiana. So I think it was kind of my connection back home. So, <laughs> Um, I picked up a book, you know, pretty famous book about the ABA um, called Loose Balls by Terry Pluto. And because my my team has a stronger uh, history in the ABA than it does the NBA. Mm. Um, so I had to go way back into the late 60s and early 70s. That's, you know, the Pacers were founded in 67 or 68. Um, so I read that book and that got me really into the ABA 
And so then I was looking at ABA cards. Well, the ABA cards didn't come around. They weren't included in a set until 1971, um, which if you think about it, you have two competing leagues that are in the same set, which is crazy to even think about. You know, we wouldn't see that today. For for people that are my age, I guess, you know, maybe I'll, I'll bring a wrestling analogy into this. It would be like if they made a trading card set that had WCW and WWF in it. Mm. It just it just wouldn't make a lot of sense, and they weren't <laughs> working together to make that set you know something that everyone would want right. So, um, so that's I kind of got into the early '70s sets. Um, I liked Doctor J. I liked you know reading about him, so I chose the '72 set over the '71 set, and the '72 set has kind of been my uh, starting point, and then I've I've gone you know, prior to that. And then I've, I've looked at after that as well, but it all kind of started with the 72 set for me because I wanted to know Pacers history. I loved learning about Dr. J as well and his rookies in that set. So, which, you know, now I have the entire set signed. That was a nine year journey. So I, I didn't see myself starting that, but it happened. You know, your, your 72 uh, autograph set is one of the great, um, it's just one of the great, interesting, um, I'm going to use a kind of a funny word here, but artistic, uh, complete completions of, 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 of a run or a series or a set that I can think of. Um, you know, you're talking about a set that was made over 10, I don't know exactly how old you are, but over 10 years before you were born. Um, you're talking about, like you say, ABA plus NBA. One of, I think most of us believe either 71 or 72 is the best, best set that can, that contain both of them. Um, but to, to get all of the autographs on there, you've, you've talked about those, um, on your, on your, on your show, the Wax Museum podcast. And I recommend everyone go and listen to it because it's kind of a, it's, um, a view into something that's really incredible. You know, we've got individual cards today that are worth 20 and 30 and $50,000, insane amounts of money. There's nothing that comes out today that has the history in it that, uh, the 72 set does, let alone signed. Um, it's a one of, I would imagine it's a one of a kind thing that nobody else has put together. And, um, it's just, it's a work of art. And so I would recommend everybody go and listen to it as far as we could talk, we could talk more about ABA and, uh, and, and, and the, those, those older sets for a long time. But I, I will tell you, uh, one, one thing real quick that I don't think I've told you before, Kyle, and that is that when I was, you remember how we talked about how I got to go to Indiana a couple of years ago for the, for the, um, anniversary, the ABA, um, anniversary. Yes. And I was extremely jealous. Yeah, it was, it was one of, my dad and I were talking about it the other day. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done because I took my dad, who is terrified of flying. I mean, he's scared to death of it. I'm going to have him on the podcast one of these days. Um, and I took him to Indiana. He, and he would never even get on a plane for an hour. But to go from Salt Lake to Indiana is quite the flight. We got there. We had this incredible experience where the the people at the hotel believed that my dad was in the ABA and I didn't realize that that's what was happening. I went up to the front and said, hey, we're with the, you know, the ABA commemorative thing. We want to know, you know, where we need to go and whatever. They put us on buses with the players and it was, it, Kyle, it was the most amazing thing ever. And I, I, we will do a podcast on this and you were, you're going to listen to it and be blown away. But I will tell you one interaction that was amazing was, 
um, during the, the the before they let everybody in to the autograph signing where they just had tables of ABA guys, they had an hour where the players just got to hang out. Well, accidentally, my dad and I ended up in that hour just with the players. Me, my dad, and a bunch of players. And that was like it. The players and the, some of the players had guests with them, but most of them didn't. And the players are like, what do you, like, nobody, no one was willing to tell us to leave. And amazingly, this one lady gave us a couple of badges to say, hey, you know, wear these so people know that you're, you know, you're here for the right reasons. Because, again, she thought my dad played in the ABA, and that was not <laughs> intentional. But, um, again, I'm being long-winded. I walk past Rick Barry, and I look, and every player has a name tag that has a card with it. And Rick Barry has a, a card. And in a lot of cases, they had to make a card that represented the player because some, not not every ABA player was was represented. And Rick had a card that that was meant to look like a 1969 tops, the original Tall Boys, and it was with who did he play with first? It was it the Cougars. Uh, I think he played, was it the Oak? He played for the was the Oaks. Or it was the, I think the, it might have been the Nets. Yeah, the Nets was around seventy one or seventy. The Nets. The Nets was after he played with somebody okay. else first, and um. Anyway, his so father-in-law at... coached the Oaks, Bruce Hale. Okay, okay. Well, I I looked at it, and Rick was right there, and I explained to my dad real quick. I was like, "That's not his real rookie card." And Rick looks at me, and he goes, "I don't have a rookie card." Now, Rick Barry is notorious for being a total jerk, so I um I knew that, and I my dad had actually ridden over on the on the bus sitting next to Rick, and Rick was just a just a dork the whole time there, the whole whole way there. I don't. He, he, I shouldn't say that. He was probably fine, but my dad was kind of turned off to to the guy. And I go, yes, you do. I, I go, yes, you do. You have a rookie. It's the 1971 tops card. And he said, no, that wasn't made my rookie year. I said, I don't care. It's still your rookie card. And that's really how the conversation went. Um, I so I told Rick Barry off. That's that's a true story. Um, and I'll tell you I'll tell you more about that some other time. But uh, this this episode's about you, not about not about Rick Barry. You're not about me. Um, okay, so you talked a little bit about what you're um, about about talking to your coworkers about it. Um, what does your wife think about it? The hobby that is. It's uh, a good question. I she um, she respects it. Um, I I think sometimes she wonders how I can spend so much time on it. Um, mm. But but she enjoys certain aspects of it as well. Um, she mm-hmm. goes to some of the shows with me. Um, she went to the national with me last year. Although part of that was, you know, there were, there was a day where it's like, she's like, I want to go explore Chicago. And I'm like, okay, I'll be home around midnight. Cause that, that was the, the national and trade night. Um, yep. and, and it works though. I mean, it's just, I don't know. She knows that that was a real special event for me. So it, it worked. Um, she loves ripping packs, so we. Uh, she loves shiny stuff, but more. Um, she's more into prism than anything else, so she does not like optic. She wasn't a big <laughs> fan of mosaic. We opened two Goodwin blasters uh, this week, and I even told her, you know, she's like, I was kind of hesitant. She's like, "What do you not want me to open these?" And I'm like, "Well." No, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna stop you. But then we opened them, and she's like, "Yeah, Goodwin, Goodwin sucks." And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it, it's not what you, you know, it's 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 a watered down Allen and Ginter with a heavy basketball emphasis and a long shot at a Michael Jordan autograph." 
where he's wearing some, you know, a pullover or something. Or a um, suit or something. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and she wanted Prism. So um, I, I, I think I've told this story before. I don't know. I can't keep track of, of what I've told and what I haven't. I came home from um, a long day at work. I don't We had graduation or something that day too. So I was pretty much there from, you know, six in the morning to seven at night or whatever. So I come home and there is a open prism blaster on my desk <laughs> and i'm kind of like what is this and she's like i opened it but i put the cards back in the packs so you could open it <laughs> and uh i, I haven't s- heard that story before <laughs> i kind of looked at her i'm like you know that's not how this works um so she had actually she had put the cards back in the packs I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not going to cut it. But yeah, she, she ripped a, I think she ripped a blaster in her car one time. So it's something that, you know, she would, she probably never touched a basketball card before she knew me. Um, but now if it's shiny, um, I have to be there to, to monitor things, I guess. So she likes the shiny ones, but she she doesn't like optic. Um, no, she doesn't like optic. Um, what is it about optic? She doesn't like. I, I think she doesn't like the things that I do like about it, how it's very traditional and there's the white border um, where she just wants the shine all over the card. And she she pulled um, she pulled all of the Lucas pretty much that we pulled, including the pink cracked ice. Um, so, that. yeah, she kind of had the lucky hand with Lucas stuff. So I wasn't going to stop her from opening blasters. <laughs> What what percentage of the fights that you've had as a married couple are as a result of your obsession with basketball cards? Oh, that's a good question. We really um, we haven't had any major. I mean, we have disagreements, obviously, but we're still fairly new into this thing too. So uh, we really n- not much okay. um, because um, we're kind of we're kind of both busy still. Yeah. Um, just doing early, you know, she's, she's switching careers. So she's busy and that gives me a lot of nights where I'm at the house by myself or whatever. And, you know, she's like, oh, you're going to have to fend for yourself. And it's kind of like, you know, you want, I want to sound like, oh, you know, you know, take care of yourself or whatever. But it, I'm also like, oh, okay, good. I'm going to record my podcast. Um, so I don't, it just works right now. How do you find the lots that you um, that you show off that you you've you've shown off? I, I want to make sure I present you in the right light here. You've kindly let let us see into some of the awesome things you've been able to bring bring home. Um, you you showed off a vintage basketball lot recently. You showed off a lot with um, some 2012 Prism cards in it. I remember a lot once upon a time ago, or once upon a time that you showed that had like a LeBron James 1952 top style refractor in it. And these are not necessarily cards that you normally find in lots. Can you right. can you share anything about or and if it's if it's more or less proprietary, feel free not to. But but you said on a recent podcast that you. Um, that you feel like people don't take the time to look. And um, I wonder if people know how to look. And uh, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Right. So I will um, not give away all of the secrets. Not that it's anything super special. Um, Sometimes, so uh, like I had the day off and um, I don't watch a lot of TV. I mainly just watch sports. 
So, you know, I have, <laughs> I have a desktop with two monitors, so I'll put a game on one monitor and I might cruise eBay for the whole game. And um, I'll put in some pretty generic search terms. Um, and, I, you know, I might look at thousands of auctions and maybe not even get one or maybe just find one that ends up being a good buy. But um, so it, it really is putting a lot of time in, but also just looking in areas where other people aren't. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to give super specific information, but um, think about what all what a lot of people are searching and exclude those things from your search. And Brilliant. you'll you'll probably stumble into some things. Um, and, and I like it as well because it forces me to learn about sets that I'm not as familiar with. And I've learned a lot about cards. So I'll have Com C pulled up in another tab. Um, you know, for instance, I recently got a, a Carrie Kittles Ultra Stars Gold in a lot. Whoa. And, yeah, that's legit. I, that, yeah, it was a pretty nice. I mean, granted, it you know it's the probably the worst player in that set. Sure. But when you got a, I've turned down a seventy five dollar offer for it already. When you got a Kerry Kittles card that's worth over seventy five dollars, you know it's a good one. Um, so well, your your buddy Adam would give you seventy five for it. So definitely I, don't do that. I, yeah, I I'm I'm not uh, in a hurry to get rid of that one. But um, so I you know. I had to kind of look at that one and see, because I, I thought I remembered Ultra Stars, but I'm like, man, this one, I think this is gold, and and I, you know, of course, I'd never seen a gold one in person that I could recall, so um, that got me looking at pack odds, and I realized, oh wow, you know, this is really rare. No wonder the Jordan in a ten sells for X amount of dollars. Yeah. Um, so it, it's forced me to, to learn a lot of stuff too, because when you're buying these lots and you can only see so many cards that are in it. You know, I'm not going to buy a lot unless I know I can at least break even. Um, I call the, you know, break even lots or break even binders. If I can see part of the pages and I know I can break even, I'll generally grab it. Because for me, that's like a box break then with the rest of that binder. Um, sometimes you'll find something good, sometimes you won't. But I'm not going to take a huge loss on it either way. Yeah, I think what you're describing right now is is... Um, especially in 2020 where we have a lot of people who have joined the hobby recently. It's one of the great secrets. I probably shouldn't say that, but it, but it really is. Um, a lot of my collection has been, has been created by buying lots and either keeping the best card, keeping a few of the best cards. I mean, that's the, that's really like the best thing that can happen is when you go out and you buy a hundred dollar a lot, you keep the best two cards and you sell the rest of the lot for $200. You know, and I, you yeah. know, I, I know you know what that what that's like. Not everybody knows what that's like, um, and it has to do with, like you say, finding things in places that other people aren't looking, and figuring out ways to search things that are different that that will more likely lead you to the right place. It's sometimes through finding things not on eBay. It's finding things in other places, right? Um, and but and there it's are, work too. Um, it's work. I mean, I'll give it's you fishing. an example. Yeah, I'll give you an example here. Um, I, a month, about a month ago, I bought an estate lot, um, for $400 because I wanted one Chris Bosch card in that entire lot. And mm. it wasn't one that I could just go buy somewhere else for $50 or I would have done that. Um, you know, this is a, it was a cracked ice NBA finals patch auto, um, not serial numbered, but it's believed to be a print run of 10. 
So, you know, I really wanted that card to add to my NBA Finals collection. Um, so I said, well, I want to get this card for free, in essence. So I'm going to try and sell the rest of this collection for $400 to at least break even. And I've got a notepad in front of me right now. Um, I'm up to 259 out of the 400 and I still have a huge stack but it's like Houston Texans 101 stuff that I you know wouldn't know much about and I still have the Kerry Kittles came out of there so I've, I've added up what the rest is worth and I actually will end up making money which is a nice, nice. little bonus but I just wanted that Chris Bosch card I had to put a lot of work in for it but you know in theory I know time is money but you know I've I've not gone to work since March, right? It's all been at home. So, right. so I'm, you know, I'm doing this at home and in theory, I get that Chris Bosch card for free. Yeah, that's, I'm with you. Um, you, you talk about time being money. The thing that comes to my mind as you talk about this is I, I, I believe you, I know you've used ComC because you, you purchased things from me off ComC before, <laughs> but I don't believe you've used that you, you've tried other types of consignment. Is that, why is that something why haven't you used consignment um so that's a good question so um up until recently i probably never had anything that was valuable enough that i felt like i needed to pursue other options um but i've had a few cards in the last year and a half that um i mean i'll, I'll give you an example i had a, a lebron rookie that I bought a year and a half ago, a PSA 9 for $35. It was already graded. I didn't have to do that. I bought it because I liked it because it was, you know, it was just one that I never had. But I really wasn't attached to it. And now that's an $1,100 card. Yeah. So I I was scared to sell it on eBay, though, because I don't want to deal with returns. And um, I'm not a huge, even though, you know, I listen to your podcast about consignment I'm not a huge fan of com of uh, PWCC or, or Probstein in some in some ways. So I, I wanted to kind of see what else was out there. Um, I did buy a card off of ComC and and run it through their eBay service, and I liked that. So I thought that was the route I was going to go, but mm. I ended up trading the card at a show for something that I really wanted, and I solved two problems in the process. So. Um, I was also uh, about to sign up for my slabs. I've heard really good things about that, but I haven't, you know, I can't give that a recommendation because I haven't used it. But um, awesome. yeah, that was definitely all going through my mind. Uh, now I'm in a position to where some of my stuff's appreciated enough to where, yeah, consignment's definitely entering into the picture. Let me let me tell you two things on that that I think are interesting. One is we're seeing more people just doing sell sells on Instagram. Um, yeah. You know, sell sell threads. My when I was picking up the Steph Curry Gold 2012 um, a couple of months ago, I needed to raise some serious cash, and um, to be able to do that, I was just like, okay, how am I going to do this quick? And I'd had some success previously with listing some stuff on Instagram. I listed. Um, I, I'll just be straightforward and tell you what I did. I I sold fifteen thousand or seventeen thousand dollars worth of stuff in three hours. And I probably sold some of it a little bit cheaper than it would have gone for online. And I get all of that, but like I avoided any fees, not, not right. anything. Everybody paid gift and or friends and family. And for me, that was just amazing. You know, um, 
so I kind of feel like there's an order of operations at this point for me, which is, can I sell it directly and easily? And if I can, then do that. And if I can't, um, or if it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work ways like the way that I think it will, then I go into my different, like my plethora of different types of consigners and there's different re reasons why I do that. And like you say, I did a whole episode on that, so I won't belabor it. Um, but I will tell you the second point I wanted to tell you, and this, I think this is, this is interesting. And, and, um, I think, I think this is worth sort of thinking about. So you might remember that, um, a, that all the Jordans 23 sent my son Aaron a, just an amazing collection mm -hmm. of cards for him to for him to go through and and Nick is his name Nick just was like hey you don't have any obligation here you can do whatever you want with it if you want to sell it and then and buy another card with it that's great and you know if, you, if there's nothing in this in this lot that you want you you can just sell it it was just like the most kind generous thing ever and I don't think people in the hobby need to do that but Nick Nick did it um, and Aaron then suddenly felt like. I like the world, like the world was his oyster. And he, he's like, dad, how do I turn this into something that I really want? I was like, Hey, well, you got to figure out what you really want first. And every day he was coming up with something new, right? I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. <laughs> and then he goes, dad, I think I want a Kobe autograph. And I was like, obviously fully supportive of that. Somehow I'd become like the world's Kobe collector. I didn't ever anticipate, anticipate that would happen, but yeah, I'm just all in on Kobe uh, right now. It's strange to me, but we, well, we talked about it a little on, uh, when we talked about bulls and jazz and Pacers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I did, I did that episode on Kobe. Like I, he's, he's so compelling to me. I feel, I, I described it the other day, Kobe, like I hated watching him play my jazz. I 100% feel an emotional like attachment to Kobe Bryant. And I know that's weird. Like we shouldn't feel that about our athletes, but I probably spent more time watching him than any other athlete. Um, we, we watched him grow up. We watched him, you know, go through like the heart, really hard things and be, and, you know, make real life, life mistakes. And then we watched him, um, you know, we watched him win championships. We watched him retire. We watched right. him score 60 in Utah. Yeah, I mean, we, we just got to watch so much of it. And then and then in the end, you know, he's, he's still with his wife of, you know, however many years and his daughters, and then he's gone. And he's got all these motivational speeches and stuff out there. So when I was watching him when he was alive, some of them felt like corny. But now I go back and I watch him and I feel like motivated by them. I mean, it's weird. It, well, my, you probably my relationship... didn't see Jordan at the start of his career. No, right. I didn't. No, so I was. I, I was born. I think that factors but... in having seen someone from start to finish. I think yeah, that's here's, a big deal. Here's the thing, though: is like, and maybe it'll change, but I don't feel that for LeBron. Like, I don't feel any sort of emotional like. Like LeBron's great. He's he's like certainly one of the greatest basketball right. players of all time. But, but, but I don't that's, feel a connection to him. I think that's because Kobe was already that for you. Yeah, that could be. That actually could be, Kyle. But anyway, I, I went on like seven tangents, so let's go back to the first <laughs> one, which was that Aaron wants this Kobe autograph, and he really wants it. So he's got all these like cards that Nick sent him that are worth anywhere between you know a quarter and up to like a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars. Like Nick sent him some amazing stuff, and he's like, "What do I do with these? What do I want? What do I not want?" And and I told Aaron, I was like, "You need to go through and figure out what you what you're okay letting go." And he's gone through I don't even know a hundred times now. Maybe more than that, honestly. And he he's pulled out stuff that ranged from a couple of bucks to to some some more expensive stuff. And all I've done for him is I've been like, "Hey, I'm willing to send these off when I send my other stuff to Probstein." And the great thing about Probstein, you know, I I know that people don't like certain aspects of of them. I get it. I get that people worry about the shilling and some of the other negative things around around consignment. I send them cards 
They list them the next day. I get paid the day after the end. Like, it's amazing. And so right. I, I don't, it can't, it couldn't be less work. I put it in a box and I send it to them. I, I actually type up the cards too because it serves for me as a packing list to make sure nothing ever goes missing. But Aaron's up to 500 bucks and he found somebody through Instagram, through my Instagram, who's willing to send, sell him a really cool Kobe autograph for $700. And it's awesome, dude. Like because of consignment, Aaron's going to be able to go get that card and he doesn't have to have all the back and forth of people. He doesn't have to package up a million things. He literally hands them to me. I put them in a box and then the money comes back to him. So, um, so I think that's awesome. But anyway, I've diverged again, as I always do. Um, okay. So we talked about lots, but actually I wanted to ask you one last thing about the lots. If, if you, if you look back into your history, all the hundreds of lots that you bought, what is the single best either on a percentage or dollar based return that you got, or maybe even like the coolest thing that you found in a lot? What's the most memorable one? So, um, I kind of have a, a list of cards that I want to find in lots. Like I want to find a PMG. I want to find a masterpiece. You know, I want to find all of these cards. I don't care what player it is. Um, you know, I wanted to find the credentials and I found a, a Mark Madsen futures number to 21, um, which I actually really liked that card. I kept it in the giant screw down. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, was a huge payoff though, but I really like it. Um, I, if I were a Penny Hardaway collector, um, I, I would be a very happy man right now, which I'm happy either way, but, um, I bought a lot three or four years ago. Now, maybe not even that long. And I saw it in the listing, but it had a Penny Hardaway Starquest gold number to a hundred in there. I remember that. Uh, I remember which I actually that. sold to Josh from Cardboard Chronicles and a super smooth transaction. I mean, literally before I had it, I said, Hey, I got something coming in that I think you might be interested in. I get the card in the mail. You know, I checked the condition. I was literally at the post office an hour later. Um, because even though I liked this card, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't one that was going to stick in my collection. Um, then I bought another lot maybe a year and a half ago. I bought this lot for $40, and it had a Penny Hardaway Legacy in it. And um, I actually sold oh, wow. that one to um, Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards, which is a great mm -hmm. YouTube channel for those of you that haven't seen it. He does a lot of pack openings. He talks about odds and stuff. So He's I kind of, yeah, I kind of gave him the... Um, the good friend deal, which I don't, I don't know if that's the right term for it. I gave him a really good <laughs> price, um, because I knew it would, I knew this was a PC, like a forever PC card for him. Um, and of course it has since then like tripled or quadrupled, but you know what <laughs> I, like I doubled what I spent on the lot and he got a PC card out of it at a good price. And I don't do that with everyone, but you know, if I have a good friend that collects somebody, I do try and pass on the the good fortune. But yeah, if I collected Penny Hardaway, I I would have a a pretty awesome Penny Hardaway collection just from lots. I'm gonna ask you a hard question, Kyle, um, and feel free not to answer it. But I I heard Nat Turner ask answer this question once, or at least freely give this information. So I think it's fair to ask. Um, how many hours a day do you spend on average on basketball or on on the hobby? Um, 
So if it's a normal functioning, like if I have a work day, um, like I can't even really use my phone at work. Um, like I don't even get reception where I'm at. So, um, pretty much that's from like six to three, you know, I might be able to pop in on my Instagram or whatever, but, um, that's pretty much, I'm not on it from that point. Um, when I come home, I, you know, I get home before my wife, um, I'll kind of do a, I'll do a patch search where I look at every basketball patch that's been listed since the night before. It's a tab I have pulled up on my computer, which I know I sounds insane, but if you got the tab pulled up and you keep up with it, it's not super time consuming all at once, I guess. Um, yep. I just do it in, in between moments when I'm working on other stuff. And, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, cause it's, it's not one solid time span. It's kind of spread out over the course of the evening, but you can, you know, be assured that I'm probably doing card related stuff on and off for the rest of the evening. Um, but not solely focused to that. I mean, if, if there's something that needs attention, obviously that'll get my attention first, but, um, you know, I, like I said, I don't watch TV. It's kind of my, my, um, you know, my hobby, my time killer, my, my work therapy, all of that stuff rolled into one. I love it. So if I give you a number, you want a number of hours per week. Can you give me an under over? <laughs> I can try. I've never really calculated it, but I can try. Okay. Would you guess you spend more or less than 20 hours a week? Um, since I started the podcast, probably more. It, it, especially if, if it's an episode that I need to research, um, you know, people don't realize this. Some, some episodes I've put like 10 hours of research into. Um, oh, I realize. I, I mean, it's, you, Kyle, it's, you've, you've, sorry, let me inter interject real quick. You've like tracked people down through finding old business cards. Like <laughs> you have some of the most incredible stories and your your projects are, are time consumers. Your, everything about your seventy two sets incredible. Um, I probably spend more than twenty hours a week too. It's probably around there, honestly. Um, but I remember when when I heard Nat say that he spent three hours a day, I thought, gosh, Nat's just as obsessive as I am. It's the same thing. Yeah. It, and and I think it probably is three hours a day between my sort of when I wake up, when I go to bed, when I'm going to work on the podcast, when I'm going to search things. If you just add it all up, and I think that if we're all honest with ourselves, most of us are pretty obsessive about it and we probably need to do a good job of keeping it in check which takes me to my next question for you is how do you make sure you're keeping it in check and not spending too much time or do you think about that at all um i don't really think about it a lot i mean it's kind of like um there are warning signs you know like if if you break your arm it hurts right so yeah kind of you know and this isn't a perfect method or perfect analogy but you know, if something that is getting neglected, like I've got two cats, right? If they mm -hmm. weren't getting fed, they're not going to be quiet about it. So that would be my sign. Like, you know, put your microphone down, put or put your phone down or whatever and do what you got to do. Um, you know, and it's just prioritizing. So I, I'll, um, I know that I'm going to release an episode every Thursday, so I'm going yeah. to do everything I can to, um, not put myself in a bind to where I'm having to make those choices. So I, gotcha. I've explained it before. Like I might publish Thursday, but probably Friday and Saturday, I'm already in my head at least brainstorming the ne next topic 
um, into Sunday as well. Monday, I'm, I'm putting an outline together. Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm doing hard research and recording Wednesday night. So, I, I you know, I try and keep on that schedule. Awesome. Um, I ask you that question because it's something I struggle with. I, I find, I like your, your, your broken arm comparison. I find myself, I find that I'm very obsessive and um, I can let things take over more than I should. I think it's, I mean, I'm also really proud of my collection that I put together. And I think part of the reason why I've been able to do the things that I've been able to do is because I'm as obsessive as I am. But I asked you the questions about your wife and how she likes it too, because I find, um, you know, we we're, we're, we're a little bit, we're different. I've got, you know, three kids and, um, and so I've got to make sure I'm, I'm like they're, they're priority number one. Right. They and right. my wife are priority number one. But I worry sometimes about people in the hobby that I see that are uber passionate, putting it before things that matter most. And as much as I am an advocate for the hobby and will tell you how it's the greatest in the world and all those other things, the moment that I hear somebody struggling with some of those other things, I am probably the quickest person to mention that what we're doing in this hobby doesn't actually matter at all. It's, it's just, it doesn't right. matter. It's not a, it's not important. And so anyway, I just wanted to get a sense of that. And thanks for being open about those things. So that really takes me to my next question, which is if suddenly the hobby doesn't exist anymore, you just can't do it for whatever reason. I don't know what, what would cause this, but you no longer are able to use those 20 hours or whatever it is on cards, on your podcast or whatever. What would you do? Um, I would obsessively collect something else. That's just, um, there, there are, and it would be something nostalgic and it would be something that I would connect to other people through. Um, I don't know what that would be, but I've kind of always, I have side collections that are, you know, political buttons and I, I collected those with my grandparents and then, uh, my mom collected political buttons. So that's one way that we've connected. So I, I can't see myself spending 20 hours a week on that, but right. um, I've always collected stuff. Um, my wife says I'm a hoarder, which very well could be. I'm not going to deny that, but um, I'm going to try and bring a, a, a sentimental and a nostalgic value to those things to try and justify what I'm doing, I guess. Oh, that's wonderful perspective. I, if you if you haven't listened to my um, podcast yet on why I do uh, the top 100, I'd suggest that you listen listen to it because one of my main points is that actually it prevents me from being a hoarder. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think it's something that kind of runs in our veins a little bit sometimes. And my mom and my dad both have both have this sort of gene. Um, and I, I have it, but I kind of know that I shouldn't. I feel like the best right. version of me is one that isn't one that hoards. And that's why the top 100, I know people think it's just about me, you know, pumping up my cards and whatever else, but like, it really does help me keep things in, in control and not, you know, it's very much a focusing on the story of each item or each set more than, more than, you know, just accumulating. So, um, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, um, I, I'll also add in here real quick um, yeah. that that I am a team collector. So I, as much as I want, I, I have to try and consolidate. Like I have to tell myself, do, do I really need 15 Brandon Rush cards? Or can <laughs> I try and get one really nice one, which then eventually turns into two or three? Um, so I've, I've tried to do that, but... Also, you know, the Pacers roster changes every year. So I'm still going to be getting one nice card from 
new players. You know, I want to have one nice card of each player that in a Pacers uniform that's played for the Pacers. The great thing about Comp C, man, you just you take those ones that you are replacing, you know, you get another better Brandon Rush, and then you can say, I'm going to send this one on. But I think setting those limitations, at least for me, setting those limitations. Yeah. Is, is, well, is so I've also, um, you know, I've made friends with other Pacers collectors, and we kind of just say, like, here, I'm taking a picture. This, this is stuff that I'm purging. What do you need? And you know and this isn't all the time i'm sometimes i just give it to them like yeah. okay you and be, but because they do that with me so we're kind of informally trading but we're not like keeping tally on dollar amounts and stuff um but yeah find yourself a good friend that has similar interests that's awesome um good good answers on uh the what you would do without the hobby i thought about that one i just i've been around it for so long i i can't imagine like i cannot imagine like like if you were to ask me what are the odds that you won't be collecting cards in 10 years, my my answer would be what are the odds that I'm dead in 10 years? Like I, there's just no yeah. chance. It's just it's something that I've done for my whole life. It's something I'm going to do for my whole life. And as we see collectors like this giant influx that we're currently seeing right now, I just like feel like this will pass. This will be a phase. People will leave. Cards will fluctuate in price, and I'll still be here at the end. And so will the Kyles of the world, and, and uh, so that's, so that's a cool answer. I, I will add on to that, though, that um, yeah, th- would I choose the current card climate that we have? Uh, 100% no. Yeah. How, however, it has really broadened my taste because I've pivoted hard on some stuff, and I would say this is been one of the most enjoyable years i've had in the hobby um, which it almost pains me to say that because i feel like i have to stand up for the old guard but um because i have i have pivoted i have found new things that i like um it has forced me to really dive into the lots i mean i i used to do lots here and there but you know especially and then having the summer where i was working on the computer I did a lot, a lot hunting and it's like opening boxes for me in an yeah. era where we can't like I, the normal person, unless you just stumble onto some, you can't open boxes right now. Um, so, you know, I, I just keep that in mind. It's, this has actually been a great year. Yeah. I, I love that perspective. Um, I have, I feel like I've pivoted in my collecting style and habits 20 times, you know, I've sold my collection and started over again. I don't even know how many times. Um, and I focused on all sorts of different things and it's always just centered around basketball cards and it's always fun. But I do hear people who are like, this isn't the way it used to be. And, and maybe people get stuck in a rut. They just do the same thing all the time. And when that changes, they can end up being unhappy. But I'm with you, man. I, I like, I think it's as good as it's ever been. I think it's as, as easy as it's ever been. Um, and we might not get to open boxes, but I didn't open boxes in the first place. I, no, I, I didn't do a lot of wax either because yeah. it, because it was brutal. And, and yeah. that was, I mean, it's always been brutal. I told ever. someone, you know, like my 2012 prison box was brutal. I didn't open another one. I opened a blaster of 2014 prism for $20 and I was mad at myself. I didn't open another one. People hear those stories and think that it's crazy. That was the norm. Um, yep. so Imagine opening a blaster at, you know, whatever today's prices are. I mean, obviously not finding it retail. 
uh, the markup prices. And I see people willingly do that. And it's, and it's insane to me, but you know, it's, it's as chaotic a year as I've ever seen. You said that it's easy, but it's also as chaotic of a year I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh, when I say it's easy, I, I, I mainly just think about the consign, the consignment companies just change. Right. Like I, I love the, like I've, I've openly told people, I think one of my great secrets of how I've been able to build the collection that I've been able to build is that I haven't sold my cards. I've let somebody else go do all the work for me. And in most cases, I feel like I get more money that way in the end anyways. So Which like, I need I to get work? to that point because yeah. like I said earlier, I'm sitting on a stack. I'm sitting on a stack of like Matt Schaub and Arian Foster printing plates. And I'm just like, Ugh, I don't even want to list these. But I do want to, you know, work towards that 400 on that estate lot. So yeah. maybe I do need to just box it up and just say, you know, have at it. I mean, I would, I would, I wish everyone could see the experiences that I've had in the last few years. I found a few collections where if I wouldn't have had the consignment companies, I couldn't have done it. But with the consignment companies, I mean, I'm giving away a great secret here. Like you can literally buy any collection and turn it super fast if you know how to use consignment companies. And I don't know how many people will actually be, make it this far in the episode, but like that is my great secret. Like that's it. That's it right there. Um, okay, we've we've gone way over what I anticipated, and I figured that we probably would because I know how you and I get when we get, get when we get talking. We're not going to make it through all the questions, but. Um, the thing that I want to highlight last that I think is really important is, and, and the reason that I talked about you kind of being one of the more compelling people and interesting to sort of understand why you operate the way you operate. And and, and you, um, I think I know you well enough that I can speak for you on, on something here. You take every opportunity that you can to make the hobby better. And you are proactive in how you do it. You've made... Um, you know, threads on blowout where you've highlighted every known copy of specific cards to help prevent um, trimming and to help prevent patch switching. And then you'll see a post on blowout that's like, why don't we just do this? And they'll just propose something. And the thing that happens, I think, in your mind first is, who's we, right? <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you think in that moment, why is it that, like, the Kyles of the world, why is the I, Kyle, have to like do these things when other people aren't willing to? In fact, to such a degree that it feels like you are doing the work that Beckett, that PSA, that Panini, that all of these guys should be doing. And you're going out and you're doing it on your own dime, with your own time, and your own money. And I guess it's not it's not expensive, right? But it's 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 your time really, and time is money. Um you're doing all of that to make the um my perspective is you're doing all of that to make the community a better place and that's one thing i just just totally respect and um admire you for Um, i've tried to do a lot of things that i've done i think with the same intent but you're but the way that you've done it i feel like it's so pure and so good um can you talk about how you feel about that whole thing that i just described well um for me, it, it is very time consuming, but I also know it's, it's just a phase. Like at some point I'm, I'm not, I'm just going to have to take a step back, you know, one, you know, when it, whatever it is, whether I have kids or whatever. Um, but I know I'm in a position right now being a teacher where I have the summer off. 
I don't have kids, you know, where I can do some of that stuff and hopefully help some people out. But I'm also building on work um, that people have done before me um, where, you know, I'm going back to old threads where where people have just said, hey, you know, I know this card is altered and, and they're providing all of the leads. So it really is a community effort. Um, and, and that's why I do encourage when you, <laughs> I know this, this sounds cliche. It sounds like something I'd tell my kids at, at school, when you see something, say something, right. Um, yeah. that's like, so some of the things that would bother me is that I know, uh, well, I know this because they reach out to me. People will ask me for my opinion on some of these RPAs that I've tracked and, then I'll go to their page and they've got some that I don't even have in my tracker. And it's like, well, you know, could you at least submit the information so we could make this a community effort? You're going to benefit and consume, consume, consume when you have something to offer, something as small as information or a picture. Um, you know, I just wish that people would do some more of the little things. If everyone did a lot of the little things, um, that would add up. That was kind of my, I've done some other things too. Um, the, the low numbered, um, worthless card awareness thread or something like that on blowout <laughs> where like, I remember look, that one. there's a lot of us guys that are trying to find cards that quite frankly are super hard to find and they're mm-hmm. not worth diddly squat. Um, but we want to find them. So if everyone would take 10 minutes to go through their box and post anything that's numbered, you know, 15, numbered to 15 or less, um, you know, that could, you know, that could create a pretty big pool of cards that people are looking for. Or anytime you see a picture of a card that is, is low numbered or, or hard to find or cheap at a show, snap a picture, right? How long does it take to snap a picture? not long at all. We've all got phones on us now. So, um, I was, I'm always hoping that these efforts, maybe some of the larger efforts that I've taken will, um, help inspire a lot of people to take small efforts. And I think we could see some pretty big movements in the hobby that way. And, and really we have, I mean, I tried to get, um, people to <laughs> email Beckett, about a Steph Curry RPA that they slabbed before and after the patch was altered. And um, at some point, Beckett finally told me, yes, we're aware of this. A lot of people have made us aware of this. And I said, well, good. You know, (laughs) that's what we want to hear. Just let us know that you hear us. Um, And it's a lot easier for them to drown out one person than 40 50, 100, you know, however many it was. It's just, it's frustrating that, again, from my perspective, it, this sometimes happens with, with business. And, you know, my my job, I, you know, I've been pretty open about it. I work at a pr- private equity firm um, and there's, um, you know, we, we have portfolio companies and I, and, um, and it's interesting to see how, how things work in business. Um, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that you learn is sometimes businesses, um, you know, they need to have things brought to their attention. But you just you you appreciate when you appreciate when there's like Thanksgiving, you know, and you have done so much 
And, um, but it's not just you, you know, I definitely giving you enough credit in this, in this podcast already. Like there are a lot of people out there, maybe not who do, who do as much as you do, but there are a lot of people who have tried to make the community better. Um, when I was more active on the forums, my, and back when I was really, really active, my, my goal was always to try to make the, the community a place where people could really openly talk about you know, ask questions and, and have real conversations. And I feel like sometimes the forum goes in a direction where it's opposite of that. Um, I think that I think that your point that you just made, where you say, I want everyone to be able to just go enter these cards into this, you know, worthless, uh, low number worthless awareness thread, like, like, so that we can all just help each other by doing little things. Like that's how the world has to be. You know, you can make the world better by doing a lot of little things for people. And um, I think that that your message and you spreading that leads to other people doing that. And I you see other people doing that. And so I would just tell you, Kyle, like, um, you know, keep keep being everything that you are and doing the things for the hobby that you do. I listen to your podcast every week, and I'm grateful for it. And um, uh, you know, love everything that you're doing. Is there anything, is there anything that you want to plug here now that we're kind of at the end or is there anything that, or any other sort of last messages you want to leave uh, with the audience? Yeah. So I, I will say, um, you know, I, I, I voiced concerns over people not sending pictures or whatever, and I know they're not obligated to do that. Um, but on the flip side of that, I, I've had a lot of people that have either sent me stuff or have voiced their appreciation. And, um, you know, I try to respond to all of that personally, but that, you know, those words and those messages are being heard. So thank you very much to those of you that have reached out to me. Um, and, and having the show as really, you know, I talked about what I put into it, but there's a lot that I get out of it as well, uh, in terms of just, you know, I, I formed a lot of relationships with people that I never would have, you know, I, I gotta do, have conversations with people that I never would have. Like I, I always wanted to talk to um, somebody that, you know, people in the industry, and I've talked to several already, and it's it's not easy to just call them without a real purpose and just say, hey, I'd like to chat and learn. Um, but having the podcast kind of gives me a venue to, or a, a vehicle, I should say, to do that. You know, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I have a podcast and such and such. So, um I just kind of wanted to let that be known that, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative of that opportunity. Um, as far as plugging anything, you know, the people that um, have heard my show know before, if they want to find me uh, on social media, my Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, although I'm, I'm on some sort of Instagram naughty list. I think right now they're restricting me. I posted an ad. I guess I did it the wrong way. It's like I was so proud that I finally got uh, signed up for an affiliate program. And uh, now I'm restricted on Instagram because I posted Amazing. about it. So I don't I don't know how that works. So I'm I'm on social media a lot and I don't understand it. Um, I'm on Twitter at Wax Museum PC. So maybe maybe you'll want to follow that if my Instagram gets restricted. <laughs> and then just um, there's going to be a there's a new episode I try to release every Thursday. I just released one um, talking to another team collector. I went 75 weeks without talking to a team collector, which is insane. Um, but I talked to Ryan, um, aka Mind Cycle Cards. He's a Nuggets collector, 
So you don't hear from a Nuggets collector every day, and we barely talked about Bowl Bowl, so you'll want to hear this. So that's all I got. I'll plug I'll plug your podcast again and just say I, I listen to it every week when Kyle says he prepares sometimes for ten hours. Um, I think there's certain episodes that you can go back to go back and listen to and go, yeah, I see how that that one took so long. And uh, Ryan, um, the one that you did the most recent episode with, I listened to about half of it on the way home in the car today. Um, he's you know one of the, one of those guys who's just very active in the in the community and. And, you know, takes time to, to tell people when he sees something that they like and stuff. And, and those types of people that are positive in the hobby, um, you know, like you, like him, and uh, people who are just actively trying to make it a better place, uh, I'm super grateful um, for, for those people. So, um, well, that this has been this has been a lot of fun. I want to I want to just say thank you again to Kyle for being willing to take some time. Uh, as usual, we went longer than we would have we would have guessed. But uh, I'm grateful for him and grateful uh, that he would take the time and um, grateful that you guys would listen. Um, if you liked if you liked the episode, I would invite you to go uh, like it, rate it, share it, do all of those types of things um, and let, let other people know about it. I'm going to try to come out with some more conversational pieces like this because I think they're a lot of fun and more interesting. Um, and uh, hopefully I can release another one of those in the next week or two. Uh, and until next time, happy collecting. Thank you.